Morning. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we'll be in verses 12 through 14 this morning. Paul has begun back in chapter 1, verse 18, laying out the incredible uh, need that we have as mankind. He began laying out that although righteousness, the righteousness of God has been revealed, mankind suppressed that with unrighteousness. We exchanged God's truth for a lie. And we began, mankind lived out that and has lived out that, suppressing the truth. Lived it out ever since the beginning. Paul said that that's a problem because it brings about the wrath of God. That has been seen from heaven also, the wrath of of God has been made known. How do we escape the wrath of God? And Paul begins to lay out a plan for that. First, he makes sure to inform us that there's nothing that we can do to gain or earn salvation. Our works are worthless before God. We can't change our mind and decide, you know what, I'm not going to walk in this way anymore. I'm going to live a different life. But that's not enough to gain us forgiveness of sin nor entrance into heaven. He says of the Gentiles, he makes sure that they understand, look, you have no excuse. The law of God is written on your heart. You know. To the Jews, he says, you have the law of Moses but keeping that law will not gain you entrance into the kingdom of God. Having laid out his argument that neither Jew nor Gentile can enter the kingdom of God according to their own works or according to their own measures, he lays out how one can come into the kingdom of God. And it's by faith by grace through faith, and that faith being in one object, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's no other way. And so Paul lays these things out. He lays out justification by faith, only through faith, and it's through justification that we have peace with God. Paul begins in chapter 5 laying out the implications of justification, the things that come out of being justified, how we know we have been justified. And last week we looked at that, and the Word taught us that we have assurance of justification because of what God has done, not because of what we have done. Today, we look in verse 12, and it says, therefore. So it's continuing what he's been talking about, justification by faith. He's been talking about, however, the implications of justification. 
Now he's going to talk about the foundations of justification. He's answering the question, what's behind what I said? What undergirds what I'm talking about when I say justified by faith? To what extent are we seeing this go? And so he starts talking about as sin came into the world through one man. That man is Adam. Adam and Eve were the first created. And we see here that sin came into the world through that one man. Our catechism question We've already passed it, by the way. It's question number 13. Did all mankind fall in Adam's first sin? Answer. The covenant made with Adam included not only himself, but all his descendants. All of Adam's offspring sinned in him and fell with him in his first sin. This is what Paul is getting into. It's been known for generations as original sin, the doctrine of original sin. I, I like other terms to help us to understand it. Uh, Wayne Grudem calls it inherited guilt. But what we see is that Adam's sin was imputed on us if you will. We inherited his guilt. We see that Adam didn't take long to fail to keep the command that God gave him. Don't eat from this tree. I mean, can y'all imagine? God created everything and he created this garden and this garden is full of good fruit. All right? I mean, it is, he can eat from any of it. Just go through here and eat. Don't eat from that one. And what did they do? Ate from that one. Y'all ever tell your kid, hey, don't do that? What do they do? That. We're prone to wonder, isn't it true? Adam took no time whatsoever falling. And I want you to notice something. Just as sin came into the world through one man, that one man is Adam. He brings that in later. I want you to see something. It was Eve that took it. It was Eve that was deceived. It was Eve that gave it to Adam. But it's Adam who's responsible for sin coming into the world. Men, fathers, husbands, please don't overlook that. That's all I'll say. Adam, sin came into the world through him, through his disobedience, and death through sin. 
found a, a quote, if you will, from Charles Spurgeon. It's a little bit long, but Spurgeon's worth reading even when he's long. But he goes over and starts talking about Adam and his failure and his family and all these things and what he left us. And that's what Paul is laying out to us. Spurgeon writes, Our father Adam had a great estate enough at first, but he soon lost it. He violated the trust on which he held his property, and he was cast out of the inheritance and turned adrift into the world to earn his bread as a day laborer by tilling the ground whence he was taken. His eldest son was a vagabond, The firstborn of our race was a convict upon ticket of leave. If any suppose that we have inherited some good thing by natural descent, they go very contrary to what David tells us when he declares, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Our first parents were utter bankrupts. They left us nothing but a heritage of old debts, and a propensity to accumulate yet more personal obligations. Well, may we be poor who come into this world heirs of wrath with a decayed estate and tainted blood. Through Adam, through one man, through this type, sin came into the world. What's behind all this? What's behind this justification by faith? Why was it so necessary? Is it because individually we sin? No. It was because when Adam sinned, all sinned. I want to give you three points. First of all, we sin because we are sinners. You say, well, that's a pretty easy point there, Rick. That's what Paul's saying. We sin because we are sinners. Secondly, I want us to see out of this text, universal sin demonstrates universal sin. Law. Universal sin demonstrates universal law. And then universal death from Adam to Moses demonstrates the effect of Adam's sin on us. Universal death from Adam to Moses demonstrates the effect of Adam's sin on us. The pericope... Uh, for this text, runs all the way through verse 21. There's no way I could preach through verse 21. We're just going to look at 12 through 14 today. Next week, we'll look at 15 through 18, and then the next 18 through 21. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, And death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. That's what Paul's saying right there. He's painting a contrast 
to contrast against another man he's going to speak about later. That man being Jesus Christ. And as death came through Adam, life comes through Christ. Verse 12, he says, and then verse 13 proves his point in verse 12. And verse 14 proves his point in verse 12. That's what we're looking at today. And I want to point to how this affects us. But first of all, notice that we are sinners. We sin because we are sinners. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. It's important to hear what Paul is saying. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Adam sinned, it says here, so what happened? All sinned. It may sound like Paul is saying Adam sinned, death came into the world because of that sin, spread to all men, and because all men individually sinned. But that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that Adam's sin, death accompanies sin. And so in the presence of death in the world means that there is sin in the world. So he's saying there is sin in the world that came through Adam. What he's saying is that all men were implicated in Adam's sin and death because of Adam's sin. Everyone was implicated when Adam sinned. Sin passed to everyone. Death is the result for everyone. Now, it might get confusing for the people who are hearing him. Mean, it's confusing for us. Somebody said of this text, this is perhaps the hardest text in all of the book of Romans. It sounds easy, but then we start thinking about it and we go, well, that's not fair. I mean, Adam said, I didn't get a say. Do you think you would have said something different? Do you think you would have done something different? I mean, really? He's been talking about our individual sins, but what he's talking about now is that we are united in Adam in his sin. We are one with Adam in his sin. When he sinned, everyone sinned. He is what is called our federal head. Or, if you want to look at it, our representative. We are constitutionally sinners. Adam wrote the Constitution, I guess you could say, and it was passed on to us. 
And we don't do anything other than what the first Adam or the first man did. It's not simply that we are sinful because we do specific sins. It is because we are by nature sinners. I mean, that's just what we are. We're going to sin. That is our nature. Death in the world is proof of the violation of God's covenant of works. What's the covenant of works? Hey, Adam, don't eat from this tree. What did Adam do? He ate from that tree. He took this and he, he, he looked at it. He took it from his wife's hand. He looked at it. He looked at the serpent. And he looked at the, okay, let's try it, you know. He broke the command of God. And all have sinned in Adam, not that they have Individually sinned as a consequence of Adam's sin. In other words, we don't individually sin because Adam sinned first. That's not what Paul's saying. What he's saying in this text, and although we do sin because of that, he's saying in this text something different. That they have actually sinned in Adam. When Adam sinned, all mankind sinned. That's what he passed down to us. Say, so, well, you sure it's not about individual sins? Let's let the text decide that for us. Look with me, if you will, because I want to give you six passages in the immediate context that make it clear that Paul is not talking about our individual sins, but he's talking about Adam's sin, and when Adam sinned, all sinned. The sin nature came to be. Look at verse 15. Many died through one man's trespass. He's not talking about Everybody's trespass. He's not talking about the many who died trespassed. He's talking about many died because of one man's trespass. Not all of our trespasses. Verse 16, he speaks of the result of that one man's sin. He says, and the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. And then later in verse 16, he says, And the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. One trespass. Condemnation. To who? Everybody. In verse 17, he says, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, That's pretty clear. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned 
through that one man. Did it reign just over that one man? No, it reigned over all mankind. He's going to point that out in a moment. Remember the following two verses are proof that what he's saying in verse 12 is accurate. Verse 18. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. Everybody. It wasn't everybody's trespass, everybody's individual trespasses that led to condemnation. It was Adam's trespass, the one trespass. Adam, what'd you do? Did you eat that tree? Oh, yeah. Where are you, Adam? I can't find you. Well, I was hiding. Why are you hiding? Did you eat from the tree of knowledge, good and evil? His trespass led to the condemnation for all men. Everyone who followed after him. His sons, his daughters, his grandchildren, and so on and so on and so on into the present day. There's this sin. Verse 19. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. There's no doubt, looking at the text, and six passages in the text, in the immediate context, not pointing to the individual sins of men and women, but pointing to the one sin of one man that brought sin into the world for everyone. That's what Paul's saying. (laughs) When you paint the picture like this, And by the way, I didn't paint the picture. God painted the picture. We're involved in something much bigger than us. We're involved in something that's greater than our individual sins. Bigger than our outward sin. I mean, we need saving from the outside. Something outside of us. Because what's inside of us is no good at all, according to what's going on here. Sin is at the core of who we are, of mankind. Our sin nature was inherited. Our guilt was inherited from Adam. And we didn't have to do a thing. Sinful to have it. This tells me, since Paul is pointing out that our nature is corrupted because of Adam's sin, our redemption cannot be affected by turning over a new leaf. By giving up a bad habit. Uh, it, it, it can't be changed by making resolutions or 
cleaning up our act. Our redemption cannot be won by determining, I'm going to go to church from now on. It runs deeper than that. It's so much greater. It's more radical than that. It goes to the heart of who we are, who the human race is as a whole. I mean, just remember some of the things that it says about us. During the era that is mentioned later in, the, in a, one of the verses we're going to look at. The wickedness of mankind is spoken of between Adam and Moses. And it says there, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's our nature. Our nature is not to be good. Our nature is evil. You can't be good enough to gain heaven when the problem is not your individual works, your individual sin. It runs deeper than that. Certainly that plays a role, but I want you to know it runs beyond your actions, it runs into the core nature of who we are. Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful beyond everything. He's not talking about this thing beating in your chest. He's talking about your nature. What you're made up of on the inside. Which way you'll go when offered good and evil. If salvation were left up to us, this is how deep our sin runs, I believe. If coming to Jesus Christ was left up to us, We wouldn't choose him. If it was left up to us, if the Spirit did not work in such a way to call us to himself and convict us of sin, do you know what we would do? We would turn away. If it was up to us, no one would get saved. Paul is saying, man, there's a depth to the sinfulness. And because of this depth, there's nothing, no work, no act, no turning over a new leaf, no becoming a new man, no nothing. In your own power, it requires a new head. It requires a new representative. It requires a new man. We need a new representative. There's no way out of it. No way out of the sin. We need a new representative. And that representative is Jesus Christ. Paul's going to get into that later.
Now he's laid out and he said, we sin because we are sinners. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's our nature to do it. We're bent toward it. And he lays out in verse 13 that the universal sin demonstrates universal law. Look what he says. For, because sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. What does that mean? Remember what he's doing. He's given a proof to what he just said. Sin indeed was in the world. It says up there, just as sin came into the world. By the way, the implication of that phrase is that sin was outside of the world and then came into it. We won't go into that one. I just wanted to point it out. I just wanted you to see the implication of that. For sin indeed was in the world. He's stating matter-of-factly. He said it came in through Adam. And we see in context that between Adam and Moses, sin was in the world. Paul's saying that universal sin demonstrates universal guilt or universal law. Sin was in the, Lord, in the world before the law. And sin is not counted where there is no law. Wait a minute. Does that mean they weren't guilty of anything because there was no law? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying there was a law. There was a law. You say, well, he's talking about the law of Moses. It wasn't there yet. That's right. But the law he gave Adam was there. And Adam broke that law. And when Adam broke that law, sin came into the world. We see sin in the acts of the patriarchs. I just read from Genesis chapter 6 that the wickedness of man and his heart drew the wrath of God. Sin was in the world. Well, how do we know that? Well, we see it demonstrated all through that time in the lives of the patriarchs before the law. Just sinfulness and sinfulness and sinfulness. We see that wickedness coming out. But I want you to see one last thing. Universal death from Adam to Moses demonstrates the effect of Adam's sin on us. Verse 13, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. But sin was in the world. It was there. It's evident that it was there. 
God poured out his wrath and said, hey, Noah, I'm going to save you and your family. That's it. Verse 14 says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So the second proof, one, sin is in the world. Where there's sin, a law is broken. And the law that was broken was the law that Adam broke. And sin passed to everybody. All were sinners. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Not only was there sin in the world, the penalty of that sin was there. Death. The penalty of that sin was there. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Paul's saying when you look at your Bible, you see that between the time of Adam and the time of Moses, everybody dies. You know, everybody dies. You know, we watch movies on a regular basis, and man, there's always somebody that's left standing in the end. Except that movie of, that predates Star Wars. I can't remember the name of it now, but man, nobody lives in that one. They all died. Everybody. And I want you to know there was no one left standing except Noah and his family when God tore everything apart. Everyone dies. If death is taking place, that means sin is present. Right? And so sin was present, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Sin that entered the world and death entered through sin when Adam sinned. And as a result, everyone dies, even though they knew nothing of the law of Moses. It's important that we see and understand. You may say, this isn't fair. I didn't get a say. You know, we see that all the time. We see it in Scripture. We see it in nature. We see it in life. Well, I, I, I didn't get a say. Think about it in Scripture. David and Goliath. I mean, here's Israel and the Philistines facing off. They're at a stalemate, kind of. But the gauntlet has been thrown down, and they're so confident in their massive warrior, Goliath, that they cut a deal. I'll tell you what, we're going to even it up. Y'all kill Goliath, 
and you win. Goliath kills your guy, we win. That was the deal. What do you have going on there? Two representatives. You got two representatives from different nations, and the agreement is y'all come out and battle it out, and whoever wins, the war is won. Everybody wins, and everybody on the other side loses. Is that fair? You see, there was a representative there. David won, of course. And so Israel won. Goliath lost, and so the Philistines lost. None of the warriors on Israel's side got to fight. None of the warriors on the Philistine side got to fight. Their fate was in the hands of the ones that were out there fighting. In nature's in nature things happen that we don't get to say in children inherit genetic defects from their parents. It's sad. We see these things happen. We know that they happen. We say that's not fair. No, I guess you could say that. But we still didn't get a say in it. We didn't get a say in having sin as our nature. But because Adam sinned, all of us sinned. We didn't get a say in it. We'll see a little more later on how this isn't unfair. But how God is just and right. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Man, if we're going to be taken out of this predicament that we have, not just that we sin individually, but there is a depth to the sinfulness of mankind. If we're going to be taken out of that, we require a mediator who is simultaneously like us and not like us. His name is Jesus, the God incarnate. He is the one that Paul is about is contrasting against and with Adam and Christ. And he's leading to that, that we need a, a, a mediator, someone to stand in the gap, someone to go out into the field and fight this battle. He says that Adam is a type of the one who was to come. That's Jesus. He's fully and truly, completely human, without sin, 
and he comes from outside our predicament and is not under the bondage of sin, which we are in in Adam. He's not under that. He is the one and only, and there is no other, God-man who takes away the sins of the world. Paul is saying that what Jesus Christ does, Jesus Christ comes into the world, what does he do? He comes into the world to redeem people. To redeem people that are under the bondage of sin, under this overwhelming weight of sinfulness, our nature. We have to be delivered. Here's the thing I want you to get. As a member of the human race, here's what Paul's saying. You're worse off than you think you are. I mean, most of us think we're pretty good people, don't we? Yeah? No? You're worse than you think you are. And if you think, well, I'm not that good of a person, well, you're worse than you think you are still. Your very nature is nothing but sin. How do we apply this? I'm going to tell you. We're doing an equip. We're doing evangelism. And do you know what we don't need to tell people when we're evangelizing them? Is that, you know what? You need to give up that and you need to come over to our team. You need to be on our side, on our team. See, we're the righteous ones. We're the ones who know what the right thing to do is. You need to come over here and behave like we behave. You know, you've sinned, and God will forgive you of your sins that you've committed. If you'll trust Jesus. Well, that's true. But that's not telling them how really bad off they are, is it? I mean, we tend to sugarcoat it when we share the gospel. You know, you're a sinner. And we kind of leave it at that. But we don't let them know, you know what? You would never choose God if it was left completely up to you. You just won't do it. That's how deep your sin runs. And Paul is letting us know, look, this is our nature. You're in worse shape than you think you are. And I want you to know that Jesus is the only one. What's the foundation to this? This justification by faith, this justification by faith and not by works, it can't be by works. It can't be by works because only Jesus can take away 
the stain of sin that came through Adam. That tarnished image of God. Only Jesus can remove it. Do you all know how he does that? He does it through faith, believing in Jesus Christ, repenting of our sin and hoping in him. You know, when uh, we look to the cross, we need to understand that our sins were laid on him. Isn't that sweet? I mean, he took a brutal beating, but I want you to know the weight of sin was incredible that he bore and carried on himself. And he took on himself the wrath of God and was buried. Buried in a tomb, dead as he could be. And he rose. And do you know in rising he proved something? Death was overcome. That's the wages of sin. And therefore, what he did on that cross was fully sufficient to take away sin of anyone who calls on him in faith and repentance. My prayer is that you have called on him in faith and repentance, that you've placed faith in him, that you have laid your sin on him. That's what the father did. Here, son, take their sin, carry it, forgive. And through the death of Jesus Christ, the Father forgave us, declared us righteous. Not because we deserved it, but because he has loved us. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you. Lord, that you show us in your word that it's not just the acts we have done, but Lord, that we are sinful all the way through. That what Adam did had to be atoned for. And there's only one that could atone for it. And Lord, that's Jesus Christ, the second Adam. The one who takes away sin. The one who is like us and not like us. Father, we want to thank you for salvation through him and him alone. Father, we want to pray, God, that you would lead us by your spirit. Father, you have given us eternal life, and you have given us assurance through your word and through your spirit. And I pray, God, that you would help us walk by the spirit of God, having been set free from the bondage of sin. Father, we give you thanks, and we love you. And pray, God, that you would... Uh, Father, teach us, Lord, how to walk, Lord, not only as individual believers, but as the family of God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.